People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. My guest this week is someone well known to listeners to Fine Music Radio, especially our Afrikaans listeners, because she frequently reviews books on Bookkiosa. And I'm talking about Professor Joan Hambidge, a celebrated Afrikaans poet, literary critic and author. After spending her early life growing up in Pretoria and Standerton, Joan completed her undergraduate and honours degree at Stellenbosch University before returning to Pretoria to acquire her master's. Then, in 1985, she was admitted to a doctoral programme at Rhodes University under another prolific writer and social commentator, André P. Brunk. Her interest in poetry began at a very young age. For example, as a grade six pupil, she won a Transvaal poetry competition. And then in 1992, Joan Hambidge came to UCT as a senior lecturer in Afrikaans poetry in UCT's School of Languages and Literatures, where she has taught since. Here, she obtained her second doctorate, this time in cultural studies, focusing on gender constructs in Afrikaans literature. So lots to talk about. Joan Hambidge, welcome indeed to People of Note. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here and to be able to listen to your bilingualism because we always hear you in Afrikaans. Now we hear your English prowess. Joan, I wanted to ask you just at the very beginning about this business of writing and poetry. Has it been part of your life for as long as you can remember? I mentioned you were six writing poetry, which is quite something. Has it always been part of your life? Well, I've always admired poets and great poets. I had the wonderful experience of being mentored by the famous Afrikaans poet DJ Opperman mm. and also Lowe, Virgil Lowe, at oh, yes. Stellenbosch University. I attended the uh, courses of both these famous Afrikaans poets. As you say, luminaries. Luminaries, yeah, absolute luminaries. Yeah. And... Interestingly enough, I didn't write poetry at university level. I wrote short stories. But I started writing poetry in 1982, published my first volume of poetry, Hartskrug, in 1985. And then, of course, after that, I just continued writing poetry, reading poetry, trying to understand the intimate art of writing poetry. Mm. And then in 2018... The Coroner's Wife was published, a selection of translations of my poetry into English, done by other poets, but also by myself, Douglas Reed Skinner, Johan de Lange, Joe Nell, and of course the late Charles Salier. But now this is interesting, especially with a subject like poetry. You can imagine a book in Afrikaans being translated into English, a novel or whatever, but poetry is something rather special because of the nuances of the language. So when your poems are translated into English, I'm glad you said you kind of oversee them so that the feel and the point of the whole thing remains. And it can't be easy. Of course it's not easy, but I think there's a very important aspect of my poetry is that I write against the grain of American poetry. Uh, My first volume of poetry was produced in a cold winter in Hartford, Connecticut 
in New Haven. Mm. And I adore and admire American poets. And if you read my Afrikaans poetry, you will see that I don't write a formal Afrikaans. So I've been influenced by famous American poets, Robert Pensky, many others. And I think that's the interesting part of my language, my Afrikaans poetry, is that it's actually an in-between language. It's an interlanguage. So translating the poetry was was an in- interesting experience for all the translators. It was overseen by Michelle Betty, an English poet. But there's something about the translation which I think actually made me aware that my poetry is not written in a strict, formal Afrikaans. That's very interesting because naturally, because of your reputation, I would have thought that your poetry was written in a strict, formal Afrikaans. So that's very interesting. Well, if I say strict, formal Afrikaans, then of course we have to say that there are many formal versions true of enough, Afrikaans. True enough. And that has a lot to do with the time in which you are writing and producing your poetry. If I look at the poetry of, say, for instance, von Weyck Lowe, written in the 60s, it will differ from other poets as well, depending on where you live. I can see in Van Weyckler's poetry the influence of, for instance, Dutch, Netherlands, but also Latin. Oh, really? Latin as well? Gosh, yes, in his, in his last volume, Tristia, the, the Latin influence is very apparent and very obvious. You know, I'm not quite sure if you can answer this question, but when you said it's not formal Afrikaans and you were influenced by the American styles, can you give us an example, one line, or is that springing something on you that you're not ready for? Well, I think for poetry makes nothing happen. You know that, of mm. course, the famous misinterpreted line by Auden. So it would be very difficult just to take one line to make that fair point. Fair enough, fair enough. But I think if we go back to an English poem at the end of this interview, I will give you an example to, to, to show an Afrikaans poem, but that is, that is a very interesting way of what do you translate in a poem? Robert Frost, for instance, said that the real poem, when translating the poem, is that which is untranslatable, that which has fallen off the desk, so to mm. speak. Because the very nature of poetry, isn't it, is, is a kind of really specialized form of literature the language a poet uses, the rhymes, all the rules that govern poetry, I would have thought would be difficult to translate into another language. But as you say, sometimes it works extremely well. Well, what I'm trying to say is I think my poetry worked very well in English because it was not written in a strict, that formal, old-fashioned yes. Afrikaans. Right, right, right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of Afrikaans. But then when you get into the debate of Afrikaans and what is Afrikaans all about, then I have to say that we have different versions of Afrikaans. Mm. People speaking Afrikaans in Pretoria has a different way of speaking Afrikaans, differing from Karps, for instance, or people speaking Griqua Afrikaans. Yes. I remember being told when I was in Johannesburg, little things like, if you I don't know which way around it is, but if you're in Pretoria, you say Ek, and if you're in Cape Town, you say Ak. Uh, I can't remember no, which the other way. Is it the other way around? It's the other way around. Yes, okay. other way around, okay. yes. So those little nuances as well of pronunciation, as you say, would give each area its own feel and colour. But also the the way in which we use idioms, 
Yes, well, that's the other thing. And if you read dictionaries, I mean, I'm addicted to dictionaries. I read dictionaries. When I write a poem, I have a Latin dictionary, I have a French dictionary, I have a Spanish one, and I see where to find a new word Mm. and Mm. translate that word into my Afrikaans poem. Joan, let's have a your first music choice, which I see is Barbara Streisand. I'm interested in your music choice. Barbara Streisand, now tell me what we're going to hear and why you've chosen it. Well, I've chosen you the top, and I love Barbara Streisand, and I think she has a lovely voice. She also sings leader very well. She's done a classical album. Yes, I know lots of music lovers will scoff at it but I actually think she has a wonderful voice she does, indeed. and she's also a fabulous actress mm. I like and a lovely comedian I love the self-irony the yes. send-ups <laughs> here's Barbara Streisand to all my neighbors in Brooklyn it might have taken me 33 years but I did finally come back here right and you are a swell audience as a matter of fact You're the top, you're the silken satin You're the top You can keep Manhattan Give me Bedford style and a cool rap by Jay-Z You're a Maharaja, a Brooklyn Dodger, you're You're the taste of a cold egg crayon You're a Brooklyn net on a private jet Non-stop! Come on, baby, there's the baby You're the top You're the town that begat Judge Judy Lena Horn course yours truly you are Danny Kay and Houdini and Mae West you are Cracker Jacks like the great Colfax baby you're the best you are the shine on Liz Taylor's rings you're the crown the top, now my favorite, you are a hot Bialy, talking Brooklyn, me saying these and dens and doors, you're a Rolls Royce dealer, a wonder wheel in your vintage clothes, you are the top, Brighton Beach Boy. 
Streisand there, and that song was called You're the Top, and it was the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Professor Joan Hambidge, whom, as I said, is well known to Fine Music Radio listeners for her reviews on the Afrikaans book program, Book Cursor. But, Joan, we got involved in a lovely discussion about poetry just before that music, and you were going to add something when I interrupted you with the music. Well, you asked me about my language patterns because mm. poetry is all about sound systems. And I'm just going to read one part of a poem. Please entitled Vlugvertraging. Daar was a keer in Santiago in die stad van Neruda to die vliegtuig net die stad kon verlaat. Nog a keer in London in die stad van Stammers bly a vlug uitgestel gekanseleer. Now, the correct way of writing this poem in formal Afrikaans would have been the double negative, which I have omitted, to get it more into a different pattern. Okay, so there, as you said, an example of how you use Afrikaans in poetry. And what about your prose writing, Joan? We'll come back to poetry. What about your prose? You've written so much. You've written so many books, novels, all sorts of things. Well, I'm bringing out a campus novel later this year, approximately in May, I think. It is entitled Stasi Stations, and it's about two professors mentoring a student in creative writing, having a feud about who does the student belong to, who is the proper mentor, and the one professor accuses the other professor of writing the student's novel. And um, then, of course, you have a big fracas between the two professors. But that's just a little teaser. Okay. But, Joan, you've just had a book published, I think, very recently, haven't it's you? It's entitled Sanctum. It was a volume of poetry. Oh, it was a poetry volume. Yeah, right. volume of poetry, Sanctum. And before that, it was Numari Sestere and Confessis Carte and Contrafeitsels. All right. Now, are your books, your novels ever translated into English? Unfortunately not, but I think I'm going to have the latest one translated. This one yes, that you're writing at the moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've completed it. It's mm -hmm. with a publisher. So, in fact, you're a busy, busy woman because you're at UCT as Professor of Literature and at uh, Stellenbosch, and you're doing all this writing. So I'm tempted to say you sound a little bit like a workaholic. Well, I retired last year. Have you retired? From UCT. Mm -hmm. And... It was a wonderful experience for me because I love teaching. I love teaching young students. And I taught in the Department of Afrikaans, the section of Afrikaans, part of the School of Languages. And I taught courses on gender, literary theory, poetry. And I was also part of the Creative Writing Poetry program. 
Okay. So that sounds like a very comprehensive portfolio that you were in charge of with all these different disciplines. It must have obviously kept you very busy. Yes, but I think it's very important to understand that my writing is connected to my teaching. So when I teach a particular course, Mm. that will also inspire me to write a particular book. So it's not as as if I feel that I'm wasting my time. And I was also part of the management. I was the head of the School of Languages at one stage. I was head of Afrikaans. (laughs) I was on the Council of Stellenbosch for three years. And you had a chair at UCD, didn't you? Yes, I was the Hofmeier Chair of Afrikaans and Netherlandic Studies at UCT. Wow, Joan, that's quite a thing. But as as I'm trying to say is the teaching... And the reviewing and the writing are all interconnected. And I love teaching. That was my core business, okay. teaching young students. And I were had wonderful to, students. <laughs> were you able to discipline them? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question of those things you mentioned, the various creative writing. What were some of the other things you said? Creative writing? Theory, literary theory. theory. Literary theory. That was the one, literary theory. How would you explain that to a man in the street like me, literary theory? What do you learn in literary theory? Literary theory is the part which is very interesting, where you actually look at the history of what is literature all about. Mm. In other words, what is the difference between a novel and a poem and the different discourses of literary theory? It's also linked with linguistics, for me at least. Uh And... uh, my part of literary theory was psychoanalysis and literary theories on psychoanalysis, feminisms, reading books from a particular perspective uh-huh. will influence how you read that book. In other words, there's nothing like, shall we say, an innocent reading of a text. If you're a Marxist critic, you will have a different view of a text as a person reading a text from a feminist perspective. That's very interesting. But there's you... no such thing as <clears> a... <throat> so-called clean or innocent reading. Okay. Well, that makes sense. If that you makes... think that, then you are always then influenced by your tradition, your upbringing, etc. Mm-hmm. The other thing, Joan, that I want to broach is that you are noted to be very outspoken and controversial about things to do with feminism, sexuality, and so on. Well, I think in South Africa you are seen as controversial and outspoken if you're just honest and you speak your mind. I think that's the one thing which I couldn't handle in academe was the Mm. fact that there was a lot of backbiting. Nothing was always in your face. It was always behind your back. I think academe, the groves of academe, as we know the title of Mary McCarthy's wonderful book, is always backstabbing. And I've recently done research for my campus novel on the history of the the campus novel. And they all have the same grid. It's always paranoid teachers at a university. The one feels that the other one is stealing his work or undermining him or her. In some cases, a real death. Of course, in David Lodge's wonderful send-ups, you have humor and lots of satire, social satire. But they all work with the same notion of intellectuals feeling betrayed by the system or by the colleague 
or done in. Mm. Mm. Now, I, I want to continue in a moment talking about the language of Afrikaans. And I think you're the one to speak to about that. But your next piece of music, I see, is from West Side Story. And from that recording that Leonard Bernstein himself conducted with Kiri Takano and Jose Carreras. And we're going to hear tonight, apart from the fact that it's glorious music, is there any special reason you, Joan, chose it? Well, I'm a great fan of Leonard Bernstein. And I saw Kiri Takanawa when she was in South Africa in Artscape. Mm. And she sang stupendously beautiful. Her Vivaldi songs were lovely. And I think the West Side Story renditions are so heartfelt mm. and convincing. But it has a lot to do with Bernstein, of course. Of course it does, yes. He's, he's a genius. He's a genius. Yeah. He's an absolute genius. And you can see on YouTube the, how the concert was conducted and yes. how he tells them to redo a certain <laughs> yes, part. And his famous row with Jose Carreras. Yes, where Carreras and, walks out. and Carreras walks out. Yes, yes he's <laughs> very angry. Mm. I used that when I taught creative writing at UCT to tell students the first time is not the only time. You use that sequence. That sequence. You must go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. Listen to Uncle Leonard. The Jets are gonna have their day tonight. The Chops are gonna have their way tonight. The Puerto Ricans grumble. Fair fight. But if they start a rumble, we'll rumble them right. We're gonna have the muscle guys tonight. We're gonna cut them down to size tonight. We said we'll pay no rumpets, no tricks. But just in case they jump us, we're ready to mix tonight. We're gonna rock it tonight. We're gonna jazz it up and have us a Square tonight. 
that Puerto Rican punk will go down, and when he's hollered, uncle will tear up the town. So I can count on you, boy. We're gonna have us a That wonderful song, Tonight, from West Side Story. Kiru Tikanoa, Jose Carreros, Leonard Bernstein conducting his own music there from West Side Story on that marvellous recording which the DG label released. And my guest, it was a choice of my guest, Joan Hambidge, who is here talking to us about literature and poetry and her incredibly rich life. And the one question that's, that I've wanted to ask you, and I said you were the best person to ask, is this marvellous, and I use that phrase, knowingly, this marvellous language called Afrikaans. Because I was brought up in an English school and all that, there were times when we got irritated with our Afrikaans neighbours or our Afrikaans lessons. But the more I learned, especially when I went to Johannesburg and saw some of those television productions, that the Afrikaans were way ahead of the English in being able to capture the essence of Afrikaans and of the people. And it is a very rich language, isn't it? Yes, it's an interesting language. It's a language from Africa. Yes, it is. With so many influences. Mm -hmm. It's a Creole language. Creole? Yes, it's a gemorstal that het verskillende invloede. I mean, Afrikaans is not only an European language. I thought it was mostly Dutch and Flemish. No, no, no. It's also been influenced by the indigenous languages of the country. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting, especially when you said um, a Creole language. I would never have thought that. There's a Mengeltal. Mm-hmm. A mixed language. Yeah. As the poet Brayden Breitenbach said, Afrikaans is gesalpeter in hierdie land. The different influences. Mm-hmm. The influences of the Khoisan, of the Dutch, French. So many languages. It's very interesting. We always only think of the European influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the wrong way around. I'm very glad you said that, Joan, because I hadn't thought of that before and certainly didn't know that about aspects of the Afrikaans language. Well, the linguist Hans Duplessis actually termed it as a gemorstal. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a... It's a, it's a mixture. It's, it's a, a mixture. mixture it's a mengeltal. Yes. And as you said, as we discussed earlier, the other interesting thing in South Africa at the moment is that the different provinces have slightly different accents, don't they, with Afrikaans? Not only different accents, they also have different languages. If you go to Uppington, the people have their own idioms. I mean, if you read dictionaries, you can see that. Die spreektale verskil. That is, for instance, why carps are so important. The people speaking carps in the Western Cape are not being understood by the people in Pretoria. 
Yes, that is interesting. Like Germany, apparently Germany is similar. If you come from Bavaria, it's quite different from up north in Hamburg, the sort of regional accent sound. And that happens here. But it's not only the accent. It's more than the accent. Oh, it's okay. also Very the nice. grammar. It's also the words people use. Mm-hmm. It's not only the accents. Right. If the you read cops, I'm not always certain that I fully comprehend what people say when they write cops. Uh-huh. But I'm the first one to say that it is important that these different languages should be applauded. Mm-hmm. And especially in poetry, if you think of the Griqua Psalms by Hans de Plessy, how important and moving it is. That written have, in Afrikaans? Yes, written in Afrikaans. Griqua Afrikaans. Gosh, okay. So it's not only accent, it's mm. also different idioms, words, implications, sound systems. And the other thing that I suppose is slightly controversial to discuss is people, certain people, trying to get rid of Afrikaans. There's the whole Stellenbosch controversy that's been going on for ages now, but I certainly, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is that Afrikaans is an, as an essential part of South Africa as English or any other uh, language is. I have a very controversial view on the death of a language. A language can only die if the speakers of that particular language collectively decides that it should die. So I can't see the death or the end of Afrikaans happening. Not in my lifetime, not ever. Of course it will transform and change. Mm, Naturally. Naturally, Naturally, it has to. Mm. But the language debate at Stellenbosch is not the only debate about Afrikaans. There are many debates about the future of Afrikaans. And at Stellenbosch University, it has to do with the language of Tuhitian. And it's very difficult to use an indigenous language, and I'm saying that as an Afrikaans speaker and writer, if you have people in a classroom coming from all over the world. So which language are you going to use if you have Afrikaans students German students, French students, students from Zimbabwe, all over the world. And it's not only us experiencing that problem. If you go to the Sorbonne or famous German universities, all the postgraduate courses are being offered in English. Really? Because you have to find a common ground. And I think people are missing that point. It's, it has nothing to do with the future of Afrikaans. Afrikaans is strong. Afrikaans will survive. It's it has to do with a language of instruction. What do you use as a language of instruction if you have different students in a classroom? Mm-hmm. And also students from Russia, for instance. It's very encouraging to hear you say that, Joan, especially... Yes, I I am not paranoid about the end of Afrikaans. Absolutely not. If you look at the language being written in so many... We have so many books in Afrikaans, so I can't understand the sense of the end, a Mm. sense of an ending, as Frank Commode called it. Of course, it would be lovely to have one indigenous Afrikaans university. Unfortunately, it is not financially possible. And remember at Stellenbosch, you have the choice. If you want to be 
instructed in Afrikaans as a student, you have the choice. Okay. Young students have a different view of language. They are global people. They see the world as a global universe. They want to go overseas. They want to study overseas. They are not as nationalistic and fiercely Afrikaans as my tradition was. And it has a lot to do with the change, the post-COVID world, and how people perceive their identities. Yeah. Well, now, Joan, let's have another choice of music while we, <laughs> while we process all that that you said. And Handel's Ombre Mai Fu, also known as Largo, and you've chosen the Fritz Wunderlich performance, which makes me very happy. Yes, the Zarxis, Zarsa, Zarsis. Zarsis. Yes. <laughs> I've chosen Zarsa, the opera series in three acts by George Handel, and it was first performed in London on the 15th of April in 1738. And there are so many different interpretations and renditions of this riveting, beautiful song. By the way, this song is also part of my novel, Stasis, because my character in the end, my narrator writes a novel at the end, and there are references to Zarsa. I've chosen the beautiful Fritz Wunderlich, rendition. For me, that is the best one.
A beautiful voice indeed. Fritz Wunderlich there and Ombre My Fu, also known as Handel's Lago from the opera Xerxes by Handel. And a lovely choice from my guest, Joan Hambidge, who, Joan, I have to tell you, have been choosing rather beautiful music. Thank you very much. And we still have one music choice to go. But I want to just concentrate now on your other role uh, as a critic. I mentioned being a book reviewer, but you are a critic, generally speaking, and you speak very sort of passionately about the role, the function of a critic. I think I have a huge problem with literary critics or people who are too snobbish to write reviews. I think it's a very important social role to write reviews. That's why I'm doing reviews also for Fine Music Radio. I think it's important to educate people and... The teacher can also be educated by other readers telling you what to read, whatever. So for me, it's very important to write reviews. And I think reading about literature is my passion. Mm -hmm. The Cornell Lectures by Nabokov, for instance, are fabulous lecture notes on how Nabokov saw the function of literature. And if you read those lecture notes, they're absolutely fabulous because in one of the notes he actually maintained that Madame Bovary and Anna Karenin were ruined because they read bad literature. And in one of the exam papers, the question papers, he asked the students, what was in Madame Bovary's basket? In other words, what did she read? And if you read those notes, they are fabulous. They are so superb. What are they, Joan? Just repeat. The Cornell Lectures, when he was a professor at Cornell University. And that's a book published after his death. In English? In English, Mm -hmm. yes. He taught in English. He grew up in Russia, and he had an education in French and also in English. Mm -hmm. And then when he moved to Cornell University, he actually gave lectures on classic novels in world literature. I'm going to look out for that. It's a fabulous book. You can find it on the internet. Thank you. The other thing, um, apart from your role as a critic and your opinion of what critics are meant to be, is um, you write articles for the Die Burger, don't you? Leader op-ed pages. I've seen you. They're not necessarily reviews, are they? You write articles as well. Yes, sometimes I would write pieces on you know, current affairs. Mm, that's right, that's right. For instance, on Steve Wolfmayer making blunt remarks about gay people, and I took umbrage and I thought it was necessary mm-hmm. because I think it's very important that we should have a robust debate. Yes. And people should be honest about how they feel. Yeah. And I have no problem with the polemic, and I think a polemic doesn't mean that the one person has to be correct and the other one wrong. It's a very important way of saying how you feel. And you you have the right to say afterwards, I don't agree with myself anymore. Mm -hmm. I've changed my Mm -hmm. views. And that is very important. Your article, your review is an intellectual contribution. It should not be connected to your ego. Joan, just as a last thought, because we're approaching the end of our interview social awareness yes i think it's very important to be socially aware the world is changing if you watch the riveting film tar you can see the change mm, of the i haven't world. seen it yet and 
the fabulous Kate Blanchett as the conductor mm. and the social mess she gets into because the world has changed. And I think these changes are very important. And, of course, they work on a subliminal level all the time. And we have to understand how the world is changing. And I think social media plays an immense role. The fact that a person can say something out there, ruin somebody's life, and without rethinking or readdressing the issue. Mm. But I think it's important that we should be able to be honest and say what we feel and what we think. Joan, you, you're saying lots of things that give us something to think, and thank you for that. But one of my very last questions was going to be what music means to you. You've chosen such lovely music, and we associate you with being a literary person. But then I discovered that you've written an opera. In 2015, I wrote the libretto for an opera of 20 minutes for Cape Town Opera. It was called Anti-Liars, and it was on the death of Dion van der Waalt. Oh, yes, the tragedy. And, and the whole story was about Dion van der Waalt and his tragic death. And I think he was an absolute fabulous tenor. Who was the composer? Adrian Moore. Oh, yes, Adrian. From UCT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is a bit of a genius, actually, because he's... Well, absolutely. I had the privilege of working with him closely, and when we made the little opera, constructed the opera, we used Puccini as a kind of a model, mm -hmm. the Madame Butterfly, mm -hmm. and we used the different versions of the national anthems in the uh, opera. It must have been a lovely reconstructing experience. it to a South African version. It was a fabulous experience. Of course, I knew Dion van der Waalt not very well. We studied together at Stellenbosch. And the person who is addressed in the opera, because it's a, it's a conversation between an advocate and a literary person, and it's sadly so this person passed on a month ago, so I'm quite saddened by his death. And he actually inspired me to write this opera on mm -hmm. Dion van der Waal because he knew Dion van der Waal very well. We must get it played again. Yes, and again. I think I used the Charlie Hepto because the whole Charlie Hepto is the intertext of the death and how do you deal with death. And, and a tragedy and, like and that. And a tragedy like that. Mm -hmm. Joan, as I said, it's been great talking to you and thank you for your insights and for your continued uh, contributions to Fine Music Radio. And... Um, you want to end with two favorites of yours, Marilyn Horn and Joan Sullivan, singing that beautiful Barcarolle from the Tales of Hoffman. Well, I think both Marilyn Horn and Joan Sutherland are stupendous. I don't think La I stupenda. need to... La Stupenda. Yes, La yes, Stupenda. For, yes, for Joan. I mean, I like Maria Callas as well, but for me, when I listen to Marilyn Horn and Joan Sutherland, I just realized that I'm in the presence of two great, great stars. Thank you, Joan. We'll listen to that now, and thank you for a lovely interview. My guest has been Professor Joan Hambidge.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Music